Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Cisco Champion Radio, episode 23 of season three. We have awesome discussion with um, with Jeff on Hyperflex. On the phone, our co-host today, we have an awesome set. To start off, we have lady networker Denise. Denise, who are you? What do you do? Hi, I'm a business architect for NetCraftsman. Um, I design networks for customers. Fantastic. And by the way, I'm not just like signal, signaling you out as a lady networker. That's actually your Twitter handle. <laughs> just wanted to clarify for anyone listening and wanting to fire me. Awesome. All right. Next, we have Perkzilla. Eric, who are you? What do you do? Uh, hello, everybody. I'm a solutions architect for Ironbow Technologies. Uh, mostly handle data center uh, design, builds, and consultation. Awesome. All right. Next, we have CCIE 5022 Bill. Bill, go ahead. Intro yourself. Hi, this is, this is uh, Bill Carter. I'm a senior network analyst with Sentinel Technologies um, out of the Midwest, United States. Um, and I'm on the Twitters at CCIE 5022. Awesome. Uh, next, we have Broadcast Storm. Tim, quick intro from you as well, please. I don't know if I can top that, but I'll try. Uh, I'm Tim Miller. Uh, my Twitter handle is BroadcastStorm, and I have a blog at BroadcastStorm.tumblr.com. I'm currently a senior HPC engineer at a financial service. And last but not least, we have Jeff McCavish. Sure. So, Jeff, who are you? What do you do? Tell us all your awesomeness. Well, I have the joy of, uh, of representing uh, Hyperflex for Cisco, so I'm the, the global sales BDM. Uh, tied to, to Hyperflex here at Cisco, and um, <clears throat> very exciting time to be in that role. You know, whenever uh, our CEO mentions the product you're associated with four times on the earnings call, and yes, we keep track one, two, three, four. Uh, very, very cool stuff. Awesome. All right, so do you want to give us maybe from 30,000 feet, so super far away, a uh, high level overview? What's Hyperflex in roughly two sentences? And then people will start barraging you with questions. <laughs> so uh, in Cisco's end-to-end uh, -end hyperconverged solution in the data center, combining compute, storage, and, of course, networking into a single platform. And virtualization. Absolutely. All right. Do I hire from our super awesome audience or uh, hosts a first question to start Jeff off? Or thoughts? So I'm going to ask. I'm gonna, this is Eric. I'm going to ask the the obvious one that you probably get every time that you walk into a potential customer. What differentiates Hyperflex from the rest of the now getting more and more crowded hyper or uh, hyper converged market? 
Uh, yes, that is uh, the first question, the middle question, usually the last question. Um, you know, as you guys are aware, hyperconverged is not new anymore, right? So we don't have to, when we talk to customers, we don't have to describe, you know, it's software-defined storage. Everyone's kind of there already. Um, but what's great about what we're doing and why I love my job, I love being part of the HyperFlex team, is we truly have a di differentiated architecture and story. And so the big differences, you know, outside of kind of the obvious one of networking, uh, which I'll come back to, but the big difference we have in the market is that we have this sort of <clears throat> hybrid, uh, we're calling it adaptive architecture, which takes all of the value of, uh, of hyper-converged, right, for, for the workloads and the use cases uh, that has, we, we've really spent a lot of time yeah, finding a way to, oh, got some weird audio there. Um, we spent a lot of time building a solution that works with traditional converged architectures as well. So we have, and you guys are going to see this uh, in a 1.8 release, which is coming out in a couple, uh, a couple weeks, but we really found a way to take hyperconversion, make it work with traditional storage architectures, and, and really create this sort of shifting cloud-like model where you can take traditional x86 compute, have it be part of your hyperconverged stack, and then shift those resources over to other architectures uh, kind of on demand. And, and if you think of what drove hyper-converged, it was, it was the shift to the cloud where customers just wanted this new kind of consumption model and a new way to operate it, i.e. The, the easy button that is kind of the, the message that is hyper-conversion. So um, when we get closer and closer to delivering those cloud-like functionalities, not the technology, but the consumption model and the operating model of cloud where you can, you know, pay as you go, um, it's, it, that's, that's fundamentally our difference, right? Now, I don't want to leave out networking because that's really the core message of what Cisco's doing in the space. Um, but what you're going to see us announce um, around the 1.8 is really this new adaptive infrastructure that allows you to have traditional storage technology. So a long answer, but, but I think it's an important one. So did that... You know, did that hit home for you guys when what we do different? Thank you. Okay, so then how is that um, how do you interpret that then in in light of uh, the announcement about Nutanix on UCS servers? Yes. I I, uh, I gotta give uh, you know a, a nod to, to my competitor in their space for being disruptive. Um, so as it relates to, to that, you know, Nutanix certifying on UCS, I mean, I think fundamentally we have to, to think about what UCS is and actually kind of take it as a compliment that a direct competitor would feel um, so motivated to, 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 to certify on UCS because it is the best compute platform in the industry. And, and I think that's, that's really uh, something I want to highlight, very proud you know, part of that, you know, data center group with UCS. Um, so, you know, just so we can we have a clear statement, um, Nutanix is out on their own on this one, right? So this is, uh, they're, they're not part of any program at Cisco. They're, uh, they're just, you know, they're on their own um, efforts, have certified their software to run on an industry standard x86 platform. Uh, the best platform in the industry. So we don't have any go-to-market. There's no partnership. There's no strategy. Um, you know, from my perspective in HyperFlex, they are my number one competitor. 
and from a Cisco perspective, they are our, our number one competitor in the hyperconverged spot. Although, you know, to be honest, uh, VxRail is is a very close second in that space. But we do things very, very different than Nutanix. The fact that they run on UCS doesn't change anything about the advantage that Hyperflex brings to the brings to the market. And um, just running on UCS doesn't doesn't kind of get them into those advantages that we have with you know, independent scaling and that hybrid architecture to work with traditional storage architectures. They they don't do any of that stuff, and they're they're not going to. They're a software company. And uh, you know they're focused on uh, delivering their messages to, to the industry, which is they, they want to, you know, they kind of want to wipe VMware out. <laughs> they want to be the hypervisor of choice with Acropolis and really move to kind of their vision. Um, very very different story than we're delivering at Cisco. And, and I'm going to be honest in talking to customers, nine customers out of ten like where Cisco's going which is that, yes, hyperconverged is a powerful architecture, but it's not going to be their only architecture, right? Low-latency Oracle workloads, for example. Yeah, maybe not the best choice today. Maybe it'll ch change over time, but um, Cisco's delivering what customers want today, and Nutanix is painting a very bold vision of the future, the all-Nutanix world. And I think we've all, you know, in this industry seen that at the end of the day, no one ends up, you know, ruling the world. So customers have been... Um, very, very responsive to our messages, um, and I think that's going to continue even with the, the noise that the Nutanix on UCS thing created. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, so while I'm asking the tough questions and why, and since you mentioned it, the other question I get from customers a lot is, well, what about VxRail? Why should you know why? Like compare and contrast kind of thing. Sure. So. Um, you know, VxRail is built on the foundation of vSAN. Right? It's just a package, right? So, so VxRail is um, a white box uh, hardware, right? It's from Quanta. Someday that will probably shift to be Dell. Um, I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, but but it's vSAN, right? So when we when we have a conversation about VxRail, we have to think about um, really what's under the covers, and that's vSAN, which is you know a, a great technology. Um, that, you know, lots of customers run vSAN on Cisco UCS, kind of in the same vein uh, as, as what, you know, Nutanix is trying to claim from, from a support perspective. But fundamentally, what we do different um, is that, one, it's, it's a hybrid architecture. So vSAN is that software-defined storage layer that VMware's had out there for a long time. Um, what's really changed with VxRail is simply sales and marketing focus from VCE, right, a partner of Cisco's and, and now a competitor of Cisco's as well. So um, it, it's hard to separate sometimes in the hyperconverged space the marketing and sales from the technology. And what we have to really recognize in the hyperconverged space is that we didn't introduce anything new. Hyperconvergence is simply a new way to consume and a new way to operate infrastructure. It's still storage, it's still x86, still virtualization. It's about packaging, it's about marketing, and it's just a new way to consume it. And so VxRail is just a, is, is a repackaging, it's vSAN, and um, we do some things very, very different from, a, from an architecture perspective. From a TCO perspective, we have a great story uh, with our independent scaling. And from an architecture perspective, the ability to mix traditional architectures um, and hyperconverge together is really where you're going to see. If, if you come back six months from now, a year from now, and go, Jeff, what's new? That's what we're going to be talking about because we are the only player in the hyperconverged space 
that is, is really bringing to, to market something uh, that our customers have asked for, which is the benefits of hyperconverge, but they don't have to throw their entire data center away and start from scratch. They can, you know, there's a, there's a path, and that's what we're doing, whether it's Nutanix or it's VxRail. We um, have a very different story. It's a very different architecture. So you brought yeah. up the the benefits of walking of of building a uh, environment that could play nicely with the rest of the data center. Typically, yeah. the 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 you know pen, the penetration model for hyperconverge is to take a single application, whether it be VDI, Splunk's another big one, something along those lines, where you know it, it's big enough where you need to expand hardware. So so the hyperconverge market will do is they'll say, okay, well, let's get you a small hyperconverged setup. We'll put that application on there. And as they start sunsetting their current, their legacy hardware, they'll expand the, <coughs> excuse me, the virtual or the uh, hyperconverged portion of it to start bringing in those other workloads that weren't necessarily in the plan from day one. But, you know, it's, you know, you give them a bite and they want the whole, you know the whole meal, so to speak. So that's been one way to expand that. Now, one of the things that differentiates Cisco, another one of the things that differentiates Cisco, is their ability to run just compute only and add compute only nodes to the architecture. So that's a very big deal. Excuse me. That's a very big deal in that, you know, typically with hyperconverged, if you just want to expand storage, you can't do that. You have to add another entire node, which is going to be you know, more more storage as well, or more compute, depending on what you get. The whole thing, you don't just get it, get what you need. So that kind of flexibility within Hyperflex is another thing that makes it stand above everybody else. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you made a you know a, a real keen observation about the market, which is hyperconverged as a data center strategy is talked about a lot. But I'd say in almost every situation, customers identify either a specific application or a specific group within the organization that wants to take advantage of what hyperconverge can deliver. And then once once that decision's made, we get kind of in the architectural kind of discussions, independent scaling you talked about. But absolutely, I'd say <clears throat> during the first couple of years of this industry, um, you know, as a vertical, it was driven um, almost exclusively by VDI. And I think about what VDI is as a technology, um, you know, it, obviously it works fine with traditional architecture. There's nothing magical about hyperconverge that, that really does anything special from a technology perspective. What drove the adoption of hyperconvergence specifically to VDI was the operating model. So if we all remember back to the early days of VDI, um, we had this new group, we're going to virtualize the desktops and we're going to push them out. Well, it was a new group. We have a desktop group working with the architecture team. And so I don't know how many of you guys have been in those meetings, but, you know, the VDI team always had challenges operationally within their own companies because they had to, you know, result fundamentally with the storage team. They're like, well, we're, we're bottlenecking storage or my VDI bootstorm affected my other enterprise applications. And so there was a desire to create more of a siloed environment for the VDI environment but they didn't want to have to whole, hire a whole new you know, infrastructure team. So it was about this really easy-to-use, self-contained architecture for the VDI teams. And then, of course, you, know, you pointed out that it expands from there. Other people are like, well, hey, what's that? Why can one VMware administrator run an entire architecture? Where's the storage guys? Where's the compute guys? Where's the network guys? How can they do it all by themselves? And that, that message of 
simplicity um, really kind of grabbed hold to say, well, wait a second, maybe this doesn't be so complex. That stuff over there works. You know, there's no question that a you know a low latency flash array from from you know any of the makers out there is going to outperform you know a hyperconverged environment. That's that's the hyperconvergence isn't there because of the performance. It's about that new operating model. And so you know it's a great observation. And I think what's important about what Cisco's doing, and I want you guys to think about this, is that when you think of the VDI as an example, right? So we create a hyperconverged environment. Operationally, it works great. They can, you know, pay as they go. They buy little tiny building blocks instead of buying these big giant, you know, um, chunks of data center gear at a time. But what, what's, what's really powerful is the ability to use those resources for that group, that application, and then when you step back and look at it from a from an overall perspective, reuse those resources for other things. And one of the examples that um, I talk about is like. VDI is used during business hours, you know, virtualized desktops. What are all those resources doing at nighttime? And so wouldn't it be powerful to deliver a message to our customers that say, here's a great, awesome, competitive, powerful story around hyperconvergence during for your VDI, but that at nighttime, those resources, those compute-only nodes, or even just the VMs in general, that resource can be shifted over to maybe um, some reporting that they run at night, right? Maybe the financial guys want to, you know, do their, their runs at off business hours. And so giving our customers the ability to shift those resources is incredibly powerful. And, uh, and I think it's going to be, you know, the difference um, of, of where some of our competitors may fade from the limelight because uh, they kind of lost, they, they lost sight of the overall data center story. All right, Jeff, it, it's been a while that Cisco announced this back in, I believe it was March. Um, and without discussing any roadmap items, but where have you guys come from from there? Where's Hyperflex come from since March, and, and what has changed since since that launch? Sure. So, so we so we launched in March, uh, started shipping in in April. Um, we can you know hit on some roadmap stuff that's uh, uh, pretty exciting to be honest, but. Um, just something I'm so proud of uh, being part of the Cisco team is we actually crested uh, really in a three and a half months of, of shipping a product. Uh, we, we shipped 500 new customer logos for, for, for Hyperflex. And so just from a, from a customer adoption perspective, it's, I believe there's a, some debate internally, but it's one of the most uh, fastest growing solutions Cisco's ever brought to market. Um, now, what's unique about it when you think about Cisco sometimes is we bring to market products that go through like a beta, you know, we kind of, we launch them and then we don't ship it for a few months. We get, uh, Hyperflex was different. Um, we actually started this process um, a year ago. So uh, when I was at Cisco GSX last year, uh, we were already um, working on the solution and entering customers into an early adoption trial. And so um, we, you know, under NDA had our customers, um, 15 global customers around the world, uh, try our technology um, <clears throat> internally, give us the feedback about some of the management and, and really kind of give us the direction. So when we launched in, uh, in March and started publicly shipping in April, um, we had already had you know, three or four revs of code under our belt with our customers and got a lot of feedback, which allowed us to, to really scale so fast. Um, so we've got, you know, we came out of the gates. We were very, um, I'd say, cautious and, and protective of the workloads we focused on. 
Uh, we have really, I, I think, the best performing hyperconverged solution in the market, but we didn't go after some of the high performance workloads. We want to make sure our customer experience was 100% uh, satisfaction. And sometimes, you know, if you, if you get a little over your skis from, you know, trying to describe what the, the solution can do from a performance perspective, customers are going to put some application workloads on it that, that are not, uh, they're not suited. And, and to be fair, you know, HyperFlex is not um, the answer to every problem in, in your data center. If you have a low latency, high IO, you know, database workload, we don't think HyperFlex today is the answer. We have great partnerships in the traditional converged space uh, that we think are a better fit. So we've, we, we identified our workloads, and that's slowly going to start to expand as we go into the 1.8 release, and then uh, the 2.0 release, which is coming out in January, will be, uh, you know, we're going to slowly expand that out. We're, we're doing some really neat things um, with independent uh, scaling to include actually independently scaling our cache, which um, is a very, very powerful story uh, when, when you think about independent scaling to actually get the, the granular layer. Today we do compute, we can granularly you know, add storage, but to actually expand that cache layer to whatever the application needs uh, is going to be a huge differentiator in the space. We do have a, a, a published roadmap, um, and 1.8 comes out in a couple weeks. So from customers deploying this that you've seen, what, what are the use cases that they're, they're implementing this in? What, you know, what are they using it for? Yeah, so we have four sort of foundational um, use cases that, that we target. Um, virtual desktop and virtual applications, right? So VDI is, I'd say, the, the biggest one. Um, generalized virtualization workloads, really, which kind of go in that sort of test dev kind of environment, right? When people say, oh, that's my VMware farm or whatever, we're um, just, a, you know, you have hundreds, thousands of applications that just need to spin up a VM. Sometimes they get torn down. Um, and then the other really big one, which is, which is just a great story, is the remote offices. So, um, you know, for those larger remote offices our customers have where they're big enough that they require, you know, infrastructure, but at the same time they don't have dedicated IT people where they've got to manage a small fan and compute, networking all together. Hyperconverge is just like a home run in those environments because they can they can manage it centrally, they can scale it very very easily in tiny little chunks. And so uh, VDI, that sort of generalized uh, virtualization workload, and then the remote offices are are where we're seeing it. Um, I'd say VDI is kind of half, and then the other use cases the other half uh, split between them. So uh, you'd mentioned uh, one of the benefits being uh, being able to integrate with traditional architectures. Can you yeah. uh, dive down into that and give some specific ways that um, HyperFlex is integrating with traditional architectures? Yeah, absolutely. So when you think about what HyperFlex is from Cisco, first of all, we need to understand the definition of hyperconverge, which is really a marketing wrapper around software-defined storage. So hyperconvergence, you know, at its core across the entire vertical is about storage, right? We got traditional SAN arrays, and then we had this, you know, the world of, you know, the massive web guys doing no SANs, right? Everything was local to the server, and Hyperverge kind of kind of blends those together. Um, what's really unique about what Cisco can do is building on the power of UCS. When you think about Cisco and the UCS space, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers seven years ago when we introduced um, our entry into the x86 market, 
everyone kind of groaned. We're like, oh, man, why, why is Cisco doing this, right? And why did we do it is because we brought together compute and network. And that's what the fabric interconnects do as part of that architecture is to say, okay, compute and networking coming together. So when we think about hyperconvergence, Cisco had a huge head start on this space because we already had compute and network, and we just had to layer in that software-defined storage layer. And so if you think about when I say, hey, we do this hybrid architecture, you can have other storage architectures, think about a fabric interconnect. It can have fiber channel attached. It's got unified ports. But really what we're saying is that from this, this architecture, you can take a FlexPod and a VBlock and a SmartStack and a, you know, whatever kind of architectures, and the virtualization can cross them. And so our competitors in this space, specifically in Nutanix, they want everything in the data center to be all Nutanix. And they, the, the concept of them of figuring out how to work with, you know, a NetApp array, uh, you know, a, a, a pure array, it's just, it's not, as, it's not part of their business. It's not part of their DNA. And what Cisco is, is saying, listen to our customers, that we want to be able to do that. So specifically, you can have a VM that can access the storage layer that is HyperFlex, that HX data platform. That VM also can attach to other storage technologies. And that's really the foundation of what 1.8 is, is, is we're, we're, we're doing all the testing to make sure there's no conflicts, nothing steps on each other from a protocol perspective. And so the VM can access, you know, its, it's VMDK file can, can exist within the HyperFlex storage layer. And that same VM can access storage that exists um, outside uh, across a traditional storage array. And those compute resources, specifically the compute only resources are very, very flexible because the VMs that exist in that environment um, are, are really able to see all, you know, all of those storage pools. And that's different. No one else in the space is, is, is really able to deliver that. And it's a very, very powerful architecture. Are, are you seeing some customers starting to uh, um, virtualize databases and putting it on HyperFlex yet? Or is that kind of pushing the boundaries of the, the I.O.? Um, so it's that, not that, an I.O. That's what Cisco is looking at right, right now. Yeah, so when we have a conversation about databases, it's, it's very important to understand how widely varying that word can be, right? A database can everything, you know, your email fundamentally has a database underneath it all the way to, you know, a dedicated, you know, Oracle, you know, system that runs across, you know, thousands of servers running, you know, the guts of a company. And so um, it's important that customers understand their application profile. What do they need to deliver? Because um, <clears throat> from a database perspective, um, it's usually around latency. And so it's that consistent latency that, that a database DBA is really looking for. And HyperFlex has a great um, profile with our, with our solution from a caching perspective. But we have to be very aware of is that um, if you leave the cache layer when you're a database, is that that latency is going to increase. And so if, you're, if your database, if your workload can handle um, that sort of worst-case scenario, um, then it absolutely works. But if you say, um, hey, what's your primary use case? We certainly don't target databases. If a customer says, hey, I'm refreshing my database uh, you know, infrastructure, um, we're going to lead with other solutions. Um, but we absolutely have a lot of databases that end up running on HyperFlex because the, the application profile that that database has from a performance perspective, it fits within it. And so 
rather than, you know, when I have conversations with customers, rather than saying, you know, database or not database, I say, what, what's the application um, performance requirement? What kind of latencies and I.O. do you need for the infrastructure to deliver? And then we fit within that. Because from an I.O. perspective, um, when you deliver I.O. from the cache layer, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible, right? I mean, we, we published uh, a white paper that's, that's available. And, um, you know, we can make things, um, if you have Iometer and it's hitting effectively, you know, layer one cache, which is DRAM, I mean, we can do a million I.O. Out of, a, out of a Hyperflex cluster, cluster. but that's, that's a marketing number because there's no sort of real-life applications that, that would behave that way. Um, so, so the answer is um, it's going to grow over time. Uh, once we move to, to um, a bigger cache layer and then all flash models and things like that in the future, um, we're going to start probably widening it. But um, to, to, to term a database, there's a lot of databases that are in a virtualized environment. Uh, but if you have a specific, like, you know, Oracle OLTP workload, um, we're going to lead with other solutions. And yeah, we don't want to talk about putting Oracle in a database in a virtual environment, period. You know, it's, uh, it's a very contentious uh, debate. I know uh, a lot of uh, people over at uh, VMware who <laughs> will say that. But I agree. Listen, um, you know, if you have uh, – if you have uh, – an Oracle workload that requires insane performance, then a little bit of complexity that comes with that is not your biggest problem. Because hyperconverge is about a new operating model and a new consumption model. It isn't faster. It's 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 just different. It allows you to buy in these tiny little granular chunks, and it's a it's, it's a very easy way to operate it. And it's a further commoditization of the data center. I agree. I, that's I think that's a good statement. Um, and I think you know the. With commodity uh, comes simple and scale, uh, but you know also not associated with that is is, is you know the details um, that a, a real performance solution they're not going away. So um, we'll see over time. I think what we what we learned as a as a as an infrastructure company is that our customers um, want easy. They want simple. They, they really really do. Uh, and then cloud proved it. Right? People moved. To the cloud didn't save them money. We kind of we've moved past that argument, but it was a new way to consume it, um, and it was a new way to operate it. And that's that's really what it comes down to. And it, what's funny is I'm a I'm a sales BDM, right? I'm a very technical background. I'd say 90% of my customer conversations aren't technical. Hyperconvergence is about business decisions, how to how 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 they can consume infrastructure in a new way. A set of financial model, and then of course it's got to work, which it does, and it's got to do a lot of kind of cool things. But fundamentally, this is a business conversation for our customers that uh, that they're really anxious to have, and um, we're happy to have with them now. Hi, this is Denise. Um, so, do you see this as staying as, say, a one application solution, or like where do you see this fitting, say, three years from now in a Say mid-sized data center, not like the Google range, of course. But do you see? Do you think people are going to be moving on to hyper-converged at scale? Well, let me let me pause before I answer, because um, it's a good question, and obviously, um, I guess you know this is just my opinion. Um, I think what we're going to find is that um, driven by cloud. 
right? So that, think of hyperconverged as really, it, it's a cloud conversation. And when I say cloud, I mean, think about what cloud delivers to our customers from an architecture perspective, right? It's just, it's, it, it's a new way to kind of operationalize application delivery and application delivery is really tied to this digital transformation our customers are going through. And so when we think about, you know, three years from now, which by the way, in the world of, of, of technology is, uh, you know, three lifetimes, um, what we're going to see, I believe, is exactly the path we're on today with Cisco, which is to say that it will become a ever-growing part of an infrastructure. I think we're going to see shift um, back. I think we're going to really see a shift from cloud, public cloud, back into saying, okay, which applications are cloud-ready, and we're going to really kind of embrace this hybrid cloud model, and hyper-converge is going to be a major part of that for certain workloads. I do not think three years from now that we're going to be running um, all of our workloads in a software-defined storage world. Um, you know, just as a bit of a as a bit of a storage nerd at that at the hardware level, there's still going to be fiber channel. But I think where we see today, one or two applications really taking advantage of it. Customers start with VDI or the remote office. I think it will expand, and I think as the performance increases, it will go farther. Um, and I think we're going to end up in sort of this hybrid world. Ten years from now, you know, I have no idea what's going to go on. Maybe everything just runs on our iPhones. But um, I, I think three years is that sort of window where we see where it's going to go. Um, it'll grow from maybe 25% of the, the data center can exist in a software-defined storage world. Um, you know, I think that's going to increase maybe up to 75%, which is, a, which is an exciting spot to be, um, you know, with Cisco, with our, with our offer. So this is Eric. I'm going to add a little bit to that just as a kind of a, from a customer perspective. And one of the things that wasn't necessarily talked about is how a hyperconverged stack, and not just Cisco, most of them do this, is along with the, um, you know, the hyperconverged hardware is this new front end where you manage this manage the system. So you're able to present from an AW, an AWS like perspective. If anybody's ever used AWS before, you know you log into AWS and you have like this this shopping list of what you want. I want a VM that has this kind of stuff in it. You click a button, the VM spins up and you go. That same kind of functionality is now given to you in these hyperconverged models. You log into a web page, you click a button, and that VM spins up with everything that you need in it. So it's when I say it's commoditized, it's making it that easy for for those data center engineers and those operators to be able to do those day-to-day -day tasks. So they stop becoming these, you know, button pushers and ticket readers, and they start becoming a function of the business and start learning how to make that a cost turn it, turning a cost center into a a a business function. So if you look at it from that, a lot of people look at hyperconverged software-defined and all this kind of stuff as a way for IT staffs to be to be shrunken down. And what needs to be emphasized is that these IT staffs can now become people who can start working on the business and stop worrying about the day-to-day -day functions that they have worried about in the past. So when we talk about what workloads are we putting on there, we're seeing a functional shift, a fundamental shift from those one application type installs. You know, it's no longer just doing Splunk, it's no longer just doing VDI, but these enterprise type workloads, the enterprise email, the enterprise SharePoint, those kind of things. We're seeing those things move over into the hyperconverged space because it frees up IT staff to do some more hardcore development to make these things sing and to and to start creating value for business. 
then that means yeah. IT well skills change too. Say that again. Oh, then that's that's a big change. IT staff skills. Also. Absolutely, and 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 look if. And I'm going to say this as frankly as possible. If you haven't been keeping your ear to and I don't mean you personally, Denise, I'm talking about you, the engineer, IT engineers in general. If you haven't been keeping your ear to the ground and seeing the fundamental shift that's going on within IT operations over the last five, six, eight years, and you haven't adjusted your skill set accordingly, then you haven't been paying attention or you are overly confident in what you're able to do. We are in a business that changes fundamentally every 18 to 24 months. You have to be able to adapt, change, learn new skills, and think more from a business perspective than a you know than anything else. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Good point. Real good point. And on that note, I'm thinking we might wrap up in a little bit. Do anyone else on the call, any of our hosts or other awesome attendees, have? more you wanted to question, add, discuss uh, before we wrap up? All right, so after I would say three minutes, three seconds of awkward silence, um, <laughs> which is about my limit these days, I'd like to thank Denise, Eric, Bill, and Tim, also known on Twitter as Lady Networker, Perkzilla, CCIE5022, and Broadcast Storm, as well as our Cisco Hyperflex expert, Jeff McTavish. Thank you all. I hope to see you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.